Hello and welcome to The Alcohol File, a podcast series that explores how we can better understand the impact of alcohol in our lives. This podcast is provided by Alcohol Action, Ireland's leading independent advocate for reducing alcohol harm. I'm your host, Una McKinney, and today, along with a very interesting panel of guests, we'll explore a number of issues relating to the impact of parental problem alcohol use. A 2018 report from Trinity College and the HSE titled The Untold Story, which quantified some of alcohol harms to others in modern Ireland, states, children are particularly vulnerable to harm from other people's drinking, be it within the family, among family members, or in the wider community in which they live. Two years ago, Alcohol Action Ireland, under the guidance and leadership of three exceptional women, who themselves experienced parental alcohol misuse growing up, launched a new initiative called Silent Voices. That initiative aimed to break a particular Irish taboo on discussing the impact of harmful drinking on children, which is well captured, I think, in Anya Tuberty's writing when she wrote Alcohol Robs Childhood. So to reflect on the work undertaken so far by this really important initiative, I'm delighted to be joined by three exceptional figures, as I say, who have been its guiding founders, Carol Fawcett, Marion Rackert, and Barbara Whelan. Carol was a senior partner and head of employment law in Hayes until 2014 and practiced as a consultant solicitor up to 2016. She's a founder member of the Employment Law Association of Ireland and was chair of the association till 2015. Carol is a member of the Charity Appeals Tribunal and is the current chair of Alcohol Action Ireland, amongst other directorships. Marion Rackard has worked as an addiction counsellor and psychotherapist in a variety of areas within the HSE related to alcohol prevention, advocacy, treatment and trauma over the last 30 years. Marion has played an important role as project manager to the HSE Alcohol Programme. Barbara Whelan practiced as a solicitor for 26 years and completed a degree in theology as a mature student. She's an occasional contributor to A Living Word on RTE Radio 1, writes for the Dominican journal Doctrine and Life, and is the author of a children's bilingual book, Natalie and the Sunflowers. So there are our guests today, and I'm looking forward to this discussion um, because I think we have a, a lot to be appreciative from the endeavours of these three exceptional women. So if I can start with a kind of a broad introduction, uh, folks, and perhaps if we could, I'd like to kind of give our listeners a sense of the journey that each of you have experienced to bring you to this point with Silent Voices. And Carl, we can maybe could just begin with you and you could just briefly outline for us what was your interest in this area and, and, and what has motivated you to, to drive on this particularly important initiative? Thank you, Yunan. I suppose growing up with parental problem alcohol use is an adverse childhood experience that traumatises the child and impacts brain and social development. In the last few years, there, there have been some attempts to highlight the hidden harm to children but I believe not enough is being done to support children impacted in this way and to recognise it as a life-altering experience for the child 
and the problem is growing. I can relate to the silence around this experience and the harm. I grew up in a home with parental problem alcohol use and so wanted to give a voice to the lived experience of the child. And this opportunity arose with silent voices. I believe that what happens in childhood matters. It moulds and shapes our lives well into adulthood. As children, we have no understanding, no insight, no language and no voice. As children, we trust those who care for us. We think that the unpredictable behaviour of the problem drinking parent is normal. There is confusion in the child's mind as the very person who is supposed to care for them, protect and nurture them, doesn't do so. The other parent may be preoccupied and overwhelmed with the problems of coping with the drinking parent and family matters. The child doesn't know how to react uh, to the parent's actions, but these actions can and do leave the child with what children often describe as a pain in the tummy, a sense of being on high alert for what the night might bring, constant fear and terror. This stress endures and expressing feelings is not encouraged. Normal reactions and emotions are suppressed. The family's in crisis mode most of the time and trust is broken for the child. This experience is traumatic and leaves a legacy. Many children go on to have union difficulties in terms of health and well-being, attachment and relationship difficulties, lives of addiction due to emotional pain and mental health difficulties. Often adults um, who had this childhood experience may never realise or understand that what happened to them as children is the source of difficulties in adulthood. The link isn't made. Many children who have this adverse experience are not, in my view, on anyone's radar unless the family comes into contact with Tusla or Ngartha Shiakana. They slip through the cracks. Even then, where are the trauma-informed supports and services for the child? So, so why have I got involved? Well, there are three things. I want to lift the lid on this huge societal problem using my lived experience this hidden harm, this taboo subject that still fosters shame and stigma amongst adults, and to expose the harm to children and to find a way to get supports for the 200,000 plus children, we believe, currently living with this problem as quickly as possible so that the trauma is mitigated, reduced and lessened and the child at the centre feels cared for. This is what motivated me, Union, to try to make a small difference in the childhood's of those impacted by parental problem, alcohol use. Yeah, well, I think you've made a tremendous start. Um, Marion, maybe could, if I could ask you a similar sort of approach, I mean, you, what, what was your appreciation of the need for this initiative and what has motivated you to, to get so heavily involved and such made such commitment to this over what is now nearly three years, essentially, to get this initiative to where it is? Well, thanks, Eunan. Um just in Carol's introduction, I think it's it's a very, very significant insight into uh, how passionate we all feel about this issue. Um, I particularly have noticed throughout my working life as an addiction counsellor and a psychotherapist that the impact of parental problem alcohol use is subtly present in so many different guises such as through people presenting with addictions, mental health and self-esteem issues, physical illness, 
loss of human potential in terms of a will to thrive, to succeed, to be competitive, to have self-belief. An area often overlooked indeed. Exactly. I, I would describe it as somewhat like an undercurrent in the sea that is not visible from the shore. But if you were in the sea, you would strongly feel the tug. My main reason for joining with my fellow co-founders, Barbara and Carol, was my own professional and personal awareness of the need for parents and the public to be aware of the impact of drinking on children, and most especially during this COVID time. My second reason was to draw attention to the many struggles and challenges faced by adults who have grown up with this issue and to advocate for their needs in terms of psychoeducation and validation of their experiences through counselling. Irish cultural attitudes to alcohol and the central dominant role of alcohol in Irish society, egged on by the extensive alcohol marketing, has fanned the flames of heavy drinking in this country, which invariably contributes to people developing alcohol problems. I was fortunate to be able to, to name and describe the experience of growing up with parental problem drinking as my father named, owned and publicly admitted to his struggle with alcohol by revealing his story in the Sunday Independent way back in the in the 70s. That was quite unique back then. It was it was a first union and, you know, it had really positive consequences because it was two large pages for four consecutive weeks where he described, you know, as a sportsman, what, what uh, kind of a life he had had up to then. But how alcohol had literally destroyed his potential and his, his ambition. This decision definitely had positive consequences in so many ways, not least allowing me to speak out about my own experiences without shame or fear. This is so not the case for very many families where A, the problem is not acknowledged for all sorts of reasons, and B, the family members remain trapped in guilt, in denial and secrecy with disagreements about whether or not the parent even has a problem or had a problem. So no child or adult ever wishes to expose their parent but the fact that my father had come out our own unique stories with each other to be on the same page, if you like. It kind of broke that wall a little. Exactly. But um, I think we're all familiar with recent events in Ireland. And I certainly am, having worked in the field of trauma with the institutional abuse and so on. But back over looking over our history in terms of the impact of trauma on adults, we know that so many past inhumane treatments of our children and adults by the state, for that, the primary focus has been the provision of a confidential space where their stories could be told and some sort of healing and repair offered. Unfortunately, similar traumatic events occur to children impacted by parental problem drinking every single day, but this time there is no public witnessing of their pain no real healing or repair, as the tragedy is that the very people that are supposed to protect them, as Carla said, are actually causing the harm, which renders their suffering unimaginable. This is, of course, not done willfully, but due to the underlying reasons 
The heavy drinking eventually leads to a dependency with out-of-control drinking. So in a sense, Yunin, the question, how did I get involved? There are so many reasons, um, but the main one being is to witness, to help people to speak. Because I've noticed since we started the, in this work, I've been contacted by other therapists who are saying, I have so many of these clients in my rooms. They actually don't connect their present difficulties with their past experiences. Sure, yeah. Yeah, well, we, 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 we'll talk a little further about that perhaps a little later. Maybe I can ask Barbara to make uh, some sort of open remarks as well, if possible, just in, in a similar vein, Barbara. Obviously, everyone has different experiences or journeys to get to this point. But again, you must have some insight at this stage to um, share in terms of how you had got this far and, of course, you know, made the contribution that you have to kind of keep this initiative going. Yeah, it's, you know, so I grew up with parental alcohol misuse as well. And um, in my case, it had it had a big impact on my mental health. And I've struggled with anxiety and depression throughout my life. But for me, a big blockage uh, came in accessing help, both as a child and then as an adult, um, because of the silence around the issue. So the focus when I was growing up was on the individual parents drinking. And then when uh, in later years they did stop, the focus was on their recovery. But for whatever reason, that seemed to go hand in hand with really very little awareness on how everything had impacted on myself and my brothers and sisters. And there was also this unspoken understanding that it was something that you weren't allowed to talk to. Um, so then as an adult, I sort of got into difficulties and at one stage went through an extended period of mental Ill health. And it was uh, at that point that I got help. But when I came through my own difficulties, I felt a real sadness because I knew that if I had known something about how it all impacts on you as an adult and where you might get help, that I would have gone for help earlier than I did. And, you know, maybe things wouldn't have got so bad. And I was also puzzled because um, at that stage, I knew many people who'd been through depression and anxiety. But apart from my brothers and sisters, I only knew three people who'd been through parental alcohol misuse. So for me, there was a sense of, you know, where is everybody? So in 19 or 2016, um, I wrote a blog about children of alcoholics, uh, which were the mental health charity published. And it seemed to strike a, a chord. And one of the responses I got was from Marion and she asked would I like to meet. And then for a year or two, I was loosely involved in some initiatives that she was involved in. And then that led to the opportunity to start doing some work with Alcohol Action Ireland. And out of that emerged three not so silent voices. So <laughs> that's, that's a good one, Barbara. <laughs> I certainly I certainly don't think you could be accused of being silent. That's for sure. But that's that's where I fit into the picture. So. Yeah, terrific. Well, I think that's good. That's great to kind of give everybody kind of an opening sense of, you know, because it's important that under people understand, of course, that there is real people behind these types of initiatives. And of course, it takes it takes the courage of one individual to actually really make a meaningful difference. And, and in this case, we're tremendously lucky to have three individuals who can make a meaningful difference. So, you know, from that point of view, it's to your tremendous credit that you that you have driven this initiative the way you have and gotten it to the point. But Marion, if I can just go back to you just for a little bit, I mean, I think that people would have an idea from the from the opening remarks from the three of you just what's involved here. But 
maybe you could just talk us through a little bit more of just trying to give people a, an understanding of what exactly is this adverse childhood experience and how, how does it manifest itself, I suppose, for, you know, in layman terms language, you know, for the alcohol, uh, the, the adult child of an alcoholic. I mean, what, what are the sort of the recognizable features here and how does that type of trauma manifest itself and how does it impact on, on subsequently in their lives, both as a child and into adulthood? Well, Union, I go back time and time again to uh, a statement um, that our patron, Fergal Keane, the BBC journalist who launched our initiative on, in January 2019. I just, I, I really find it always moving because it sums up so movingly what um, the experience is really like. And if, if it's okay, I'll just quote it. Most profound personal impact was a sense of shame, growing up with a sense of shame, shame as your second skin, of being conscious that things in your home are very different to the way they were in the homes of your friends and of wanting to hide. And the other big impact is grief. And that is something that comes back to me more and more as I get older. Looking back on childhood and reflecting on what might have been instead of what was and a deep sense of sorrow for that, and also sorrow for those, and not just those of us who have experienced parental alcohol misuse, but for the parents who were lost to alcohol. No parent who's trapped in alcohol dependency is willfully setting out to harm you. So I feel that that really summarizes the three very strong emotions. The shame, you know, that feeling of being different, and I suppose that sense of, you know, visiting your friends' houses, hearing their parents talking, uh, playing, um, having an easy time, no stress, no strain. Whereas in the addicted family, there is, as Claudia Black, who's a, a U.S. expert on this area, says there's three golden rules in the alcohol family system which is don't talk yeah don't trust and don't feel yeah like one of the one of the one of the contributions that we've received on the on the 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 shared voices uh, was a story that's that, that's penned by somebody called Elizabeth you know she used to, she wrote that you know when I'd lie in bed with the sound you know I'd lie in my bed with the sound of a well-known dreary play droning in the background I was petrified like these are these are real sort of emotions, I suppose, for people who have experienced this. Absolutely. And I suppose the this sense of grief as well as the other issue, because you do feel, especially as you get older, that there is a heaviness there. You're carrying a lot of grief. And you're also, I suppose, easily triggered into into tears and sometimes those tears continue and continue um, without knowing what's what's actually causing them. So the environment growing up is one of tension, sadness and fear, because if we're talking about, you know, a parent with a problem, we're talking about out of control behaviours. And as Carol has mentioned, you know, there's always that fear of the nighttime and the tension that can be created um, by the arrival home of a parent and the child is in, in the bed 
and suddenly wakens up listening to the way the parent is driving into the driveway or the way they're putting the key in the door and suddenly the heart is thumping. And then the parent enters and there's perhaps other people coming with them. There's a sense of a party night, um, drinking to excess and suddenly things can get out of control either through jollity or through fighting and arguing. And that is all heard. And just sort of to move it into into adulthood then, in terms of adulthood, I mean, typically, what is the experience for people in adulthood? What, 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 are, the, what are the signatures of, of this um, trauma in their lives when, when they develop into adulthood? Well, I suppose there's, there are several, Union, and again, just to say that it, this is a unique experience for every individual there is no prescribing of anything because everybody has their own internal story. But gen in general terms, a lot of the authors would say there's a kind of a learned helplessness um, because of the addiction, because of the dominance of the addiction in, in their lives growing up, where everything possible was tried, but nothing succeeded in turning the situation around. So there's a kind of a learned helplessness or a hopelessness there can be a lot of depression, anxiety, and particularly emotional constriction. Um, because as we have pointed out already, that the hypervigilance that goes on it, within the home, everybody's watching each other's moods and making sure that they don't upset others because that could trigger a drinking episode. And therefore, that could really create a, a, a row that could get out of control. There's a loss of trust and faith in perhaps the other parent, maybe in you can't do something about it and despite them trying. There's can be traumatic bonding because obviously when um, adults are entering other relationships, they can enter similar relationships where there's a lot of trauma issues and, and a lot of conflict. But there's also a loss of ability to take in caring and support from others, because the big thing about growing up in such families that you learn to be very independent. And that issue, of, and that issue of trust, is obviously a significant factor in terms of how people, uh, you know, modify their own behaviour subsequently in adulthood. Exactly. Yeah. And Barbara, maybe if I could, if I could just take Barbara in here, because I know Barbara, you've spoken. You know, in in another in another medium, you 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 gave a wonderful lecture to aware there. I think it was late last year or earlier in the year. You know, where you spoke about the opportunities that there are for people to actually recover and to renew themselves out of this experience and to you know to 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 I suppose live a better better life away from this experience. Um, and, you know, you've spoken about easing that agitation of anxiety, which I thought was a lovely phrase in, 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 in ways because it kind of captured some of my own, my own understanding of this particular issue. Um, so maybe you could just talk a little bit about some, some of those particular uh, ideas that you have around recovery and renewal and, and what is possible. Yeah, Union, I think like one of the things I love about Silent Voices is, is that it doesn't hide from the experience, but it also offers a, a message of hope. And that was something that 
really resonated with me in the context of the professional support that I received, because in the end, we came back to the present. And by that, I mean, I wasn't left in the past and I wasn't left, you know, in the traumas of my my childhood. And it was that then that enabled me to to sort of harness all the knowledge and the insight and all the goodness that came from the support I got and just, you know, to move on and lead a happier life. And I think really with, um, you know, Silent Voices, like you were talking there about our Shared Voices platform, and that's a space which facilitates people in giving voice to their experience. And I think sometimes recognising our story and other people's stories can be really healing um, of all the denial we experience because of the the silence uh, that we experience, because denial of your experience is very, very painful. And so I think that's one way in which we can validate and honor our common collective experience. And it, it, it can, you know, can be really helpful. That's that's so true, Barbara. Um, and that's why I think Fergal, Fergal Keane's um, comments at our the opening at the launch, the launch of Silent Voices resonated with those of us who had similar experiences. Um, it, it's like, and when I hear people talk about their experience, there are o- often elements that really resonate. And no matter how we might um, aim to move on and live our lives or whatever, it's always a little bit below the surface. And, and we are able to identify maybe not break down in the same way because we've learned and we've got insight and we've, we've learned to, to, to manage and understand where we are coming from. But, but that's why like you, 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 you hit the nail on the head and so did Marion with the reference to Fergal, you know, we identify and that validates our own experience in, in, in a way also. And there's that, that there is that line as well, Barbara, that you talk about, you know, that, that compassion, you know the the idea of compassion. Compassion underpin underpins much of the work that you you three have been trying to do in this work, and I I find that very compelling. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, that was that was an interesting one, Union, because like as I said, I came to understand the uh, the impact of parental alcohol misuse through a mental health, and um, and while I wouldn't have wished to go through what I went through. I was always glad that if I had to, that I went through at the particular time that I did, because at that point, uh, a lot was changing within mental health and that there was a much greater focus on helping people learn ways um, to prevent subsequent relapses, because it's very common with depression. So for depression, sort of things like mindfulness based cognitive therapy and compassion focused therapy helped me self-maintain. But the interesting thing was that as time went on, that I found those compassionate practices, you know, began to play a major part in healing from childhood trauma. And it was that lecture that you referenced there, Union, with um, Dr. Katie Baird, in which we, you know, we we, we talked about, you know, the, the, the importance of compassion. And those things, I think, are available for everybody because one of the things in Silent Voices we hear about an awful lot is that many children of alcoholics don't necessarily suffer from mental health issues. But what they do sometimes carry with them is a lingering sadness or an inability to enjoy themselves fully or just this sense of not really fitting in or belonging. And I really do believe that learning self-compassion practices can be really a powerful way of dealing with that 
on its own, if you have serious difficulties, they're not enough. You need additional, you know, professional support. But when you're moving on with life, sure. I think that they can be so, so helpful. Yeah. Well, just to say for people, I mean, I, I think it's certainly worth people haven't, if they're interested in the subjects, it's certainly well worth them spending the 50 minutes listening to the lecture. And it's available on the Alcohol um, Action website at alcoholireland.ie and then you'll find silent voices and you'll find the the lecture um in in the in that section it's it's certainly it's it's terrific talk and it's can i say it's eloquently expressed and it's really certainly uh enriching for anyone to have an opportunity to listen to it and in fact i think it's one of the things that you could certainly reflect on as I suppose the success and and one of the reflections, you know, reflecting on the success that you've had today. So I think that that whole lecture that is is certainly one of those. And I think the other, you know, you touched on it earlier there, uh, Carol did, and I think you all did, and, and the, the the establishment of the shared voices platform and the voices that have emerged. You know, we now have well over fifty voices that have emerged out of the out of the taboo let's say and and have expressed their their feelings and have expressed their experiences and i think that that platform again it's available on the website for people to engage with it but also to contribute to it if you wish um and i think that has been a great success not to, as well as you know i think a broader media interest i think in most most recent weeks even this year so far we've seen a particular interest now somewhat driven perhaps by covid to some degree but there has been a greater engagement by the media to try and understand just what it is like for those 200,000 children who are living every single day, uh, as I say, with that ocean of alcohol in their homes. And it's, it, it is undoubtedly, I think, going to be an aspect of the recovery from COVID that we're going to have to deal with. Carol, maybe I could just ask you in that context, you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of work go- has been done and a lot of work that is going on, but, you know, in that context of more things to be done and, you know, looking to government and looking to public services. Um, can you just give us an insight on what you think has been some of the achievements that you've achieved so far, or some of the work that's been done? Well, we're we're still working away, Union. Of course, but but we're we're not there yet by any means. But we need a whole of government approach to the harm caused by alcohol to others. And my my focus, as I as I've mentioned, is on children. We need joined up thinking by government. At, at present, we're trying to get government departments, education, justice and children to recognise the trauma for children living with domestic abuse, Terrific, which is yeah. more which is more often than not fueled and accom- accompanied by problem alcohol use. Sure. And to introduce uh, a programme called Operation Encompass into Ireland. Yeah, and I think that 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 that's a kind of a, has had an origin in in the UK. I think at some stage, is it? It does. Yeah. It originated in the in the UK in two thousand and eleven, and it was set up by um, a headmistress and and a police sergeant. Very good. Of all things, but it's an early intervention program involving cooperation between schools and Angartha Shiakona. Its its beauty really lies in its immediacy and focusing on the child who's experienced the trauma in the home the night before and, and showering that child with kindness and support at commencement of the next school day. Because this trauma, as we know, impacts the child's development and education. And the child is is a victim in all of this and needs support. And 
we 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 forget about the child um, on many occasions. And what's good about this program too, Union, is that it also gets the child living with the trauma on the radar of another professional, like the like the teacher. And we need teachers to be aware of the impact of this trauma on the child's behaviour and ability to learn. Because a child that's traumatised and coming from a home where there's been, where there have been horrendous difficulties, rows, atmosphere, terror, shame, you, you name chaos. it. Yeah. Um, chaos, actual chaos. Um, the child will, you know, a child can act out and, and all the rest of it. So, so what we have done is we've written to the relevant ministers. We've met with many bodies, including TUSLA, the Ombudsman for Children, Dr Muldoon, um, the Guard, the National Bureau for Protective Services, and also recently um, our CEO, Sheila, Dr Sheila Gilhini, and myself met with the interdepartmental group convened under the Children First legislation. So all see the programme, all see the benefits of the programme, and, and especially in this time of COVID, where alcohol consumption has increased hugely and domestic violence is, is, has gone through the roof. Children need this programme implemented and in place for when schools reopen. So these children are already invisible, invisible victims of COVID. And of course, there was, there was that excellent report that you commissioned or worked with uh, UCC as well in the context of the impact of, of children in, in education or as they went through education. And that was, a, that was a particularly useful piece of work as well because it highlighted exactly what that trauma was. And, you know, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the difficulty in the education sphere is that, that the professionals, the teachers do, are not provided with any training as to uh, the adverse childhood experiences that that pupils um, are exposed to. Um, it, it is dealt with mostly as a CPD matter as opposed to an integral part of the training and how children are received in schools. So so in my view and in our view, well, in, in our view, Silent Voices view, it's incumbent on our state bodies and agencies to find a way to share critical information about the harm that's been caused to the child quickly and to be and for these agencies to be flexible and creative in their thinking in the best interests of the child. So so Yeah, it's a really, really important Exactly. And 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 the reason why this this knowledge and information is important because homes may be unsafe, but if a child's actions in school are misinterpreted, and the child acts out, for example, compa- that compounds the trauma and stress as no one knows the cause. So school may also become another unsafe place. Sure. Um, Barbara, could I just, sorry, Carl, just interrupted, but I'm just wondering, Barbara, is there a need for other wider, broader training and awareness raising in a professional setting as well? Just obviously, Carl has spoken there about the teachers and the need perhaps for our educators to be more aware or to be trauma aware in relation to the child that they're dealing with. But in terms of other services, is there other areas where tailored interventions need to be considered? Well, I think, you know, what really struck me was that, you know, when I was going through my um, own period of mental health was the, the really the lack of knowledge among professionals themselves about the, the, the impact of parental alcohol misuse. So I think raising awareness um, for us really does also include raising awareness among professionals themselves. And thankfully, actually, um, we find we're finding that they're very, very open to learning more about the issue because it's really, really important that if somebody does take that step, 
that they are met by somebody who knows where they're they're coming from. So, yes, I think that is most, most important. Yeah. And that compassion that you speak about as well. And- it is because I think one of the great difficulties, as Myra was pointing out, is, is for if you have grown up with uh, parental alcohol misuse, you do have difficulty trusting. So it's really important for professionals to realise that that's going to take time, that the most important thing to start with is trust and you need it, it will take time. So even just little small things, knowing you know things like that can really have a major impact on the relationship. Sure. And Marion, if I can just kind of conclude this piece, I suppose, in the context of your insight into obviously working as you have over over the years. I mean, what are the what is the public services like in this realm and, and indeed private services like in this realm? You know, can you give us some sort of um, give our listeners some sense of what is available? Sure. Um, well, first of all, you know, good treatment benefits the child. So um, the development of alcohol treatment services is certainly in the plans for the HSE um, to develop those more accessible, more um, immediate to people and where they live and to provide psychotherapeutic programs for the family as well as for the individual. Um, That's vitally important. We need the Silent Voices issue um, central to all youth's mental health settings. And we also need, uh, I suppose, for um, adults in terms of accessing help and support. There used to be adult children of alcoholics programs um, many years ago, but unfortunately that, that has lapsed. Right. But now we have the Irish IHIP, IACP, which are the uh, accrediting bodies for counsellors. Uh, we have the Connect Helpline, which is a HSE helpline for those who have experienced childhood abuse. Um, we have the National Counselling Service uh, for people. And um, there is also, I suppose, just to state a very important strategic statement between TUSLA and the HSE on how to deal with children impacted by parental substance use. So if you go to the website on the HSE Social Inclusion or TUSLA, you will find the hidden harm documentation. And is it reasonable to say that the services are accessible or not accessible at this point? Well, I do think that there are some services that are accessible. Obviously, the Connect helpline is a telephone counselling helpline. I think there are waiting lists in in other services. Um, But if, you know, there's a difference between public and private. Obviously, if you're going the private route, there is payment for for sessions. But there are some services that offer low-cost counselling. And a final thing I would like to say, Yunan, you mentioned Barbara's presentation, and I would like to mention uh, Austin Pryor's and my own presentation regarding uh, the impact of addiction on the family and on children. So that's there as well. Of course, yeah. Yeah, that's available on the resource uh, section as well. And you'll also, for our listeners, you'll also find the numbers of the various services that Marion has outlined there on that section as well. Would you mind if I just add as well, wearing my chair of alcohol action hat, but with a focus on children, could I also add that we need a whole of government approach to putting children at the centre of all policies and alcohol products. I mean, children are entitled to a, a childhood free from alcohol harm. And so when it comes to advertising alcohol products and sponsorship of sports and labelling for adult alcohol products, we should put the impact on our children's lives 
our future front and centre. More like warnings to pregnant mothers should be carried on every alcohol product of the risk to the unborn child. Children born with fetal alcohol syndrome, FASD, due to the mother's drinking during pregnancy cannot be cured. So there's no treatment. So there are a whole range of other issues uh, we don't have time today, obviously, to get into. But public health must include children's health and well-being. And, and so I see it. I mean, I'm so lucky uh, that we have, you know, the three of us, Mary and Barbara and myself, I'm so lucky that we, we all have different perspectives that we can add to to the narrative on, on these issues. But we still have much to do Um so I'm I'm always trying to remain hopeful <laughs> that that yes. you know. Well, look, I think it, it's 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 a good place to end on an optimistic note. And again, I mean, I think the the work you you know you talked about some people in the past, but the work that you guys have been doing, the three of you have been just tremendous. And it's again, it's you know, it's um, it's only when good people actually do something and act and and become involved that we can really see to make a difference. You know, so I think you're to be commended for just the tremendous effort and sustainability and the resilience you've demonstrated in relation to this particular project. So thank you for your time today. I'd like, as I say, I'd like to thank you for participating. Uh, again, to remind our listeners, it's Carol Fawcett, uh, Barbara Whelan and Marion Racker. So thank you for that. If you'd like to explore the impact of parental problem alcohol use, read the personal testimonies of those impacted or learn more about what assistance and support is available, you can visit the Silent Voices webpage at alcoholireland.ie or just Google Silent Voices. You can also email us at silentvoices at alcoholactionireland.ie and of course follow us at Ireland Silent across all social media platforms. So next time on The Alcohol File, we'll be discussing the corporate power of the alcohol industry its tactical playbook against public health alcohol controls and the extent of its political reach. But for now, thank you for listening and until the next time, stay safe.